This episode, we hear about the battle for the World Chess Championship that took place in 1984. It was a match that lasted a little bit longer than expected. Hello everyone and welcome to Audible Chess, where I tell the story of chess through history, fiction, and the games of the masters. This episode, I wanted to give a shout out to Ken. I really appreciate your support and also to Ben. Thank you so much as well. The podcast is 100% listener supported. So if you want to help out, head to the website or check out the show notes for links on how you can do that. I hope you enjoy the episode. The rules of the match at the 1984 championship were simple. The first player to win six games would be crowned champion. It began on September 10th, when the two opponents, the defending world champion Anatoly Karpov and his challenger, Garry Kasparov, met at a venue in Moscow. Many commentators were predicting a quick defeat of Kasparov, and the predictions seemed to be coming true. By the ninth game, Karpov was already up a full four games to none. He needed just two more wins. But the next game was a draw, and the one after that as well. In fact, the next 17 games of the match were all draws. They'd now played 26 games over the course of one month. Despite their enthusiasm, the Moscow crowds were beginning to grow tired and frustrated with these results. Here's a quote from the Guardian newspaper. The Moscow crowd took out their frustration on the Grandmasters when Kasparov and Karpov agreed to one of their many draws after only 17 moves there were boos and whistles from the crowd, and accusations they were playing anti-chess. But then, finally, at game 27, Karpov won another victory. It was 5-0. He needed just one more game to remain world champion, a title he'd held now for a decade. Karpov's chess career had begun very early, when he was just four years old. At 12, he was accepted to the academy run by Mikhail Botvinnik. When you look back at the records, it seems that despite Botvinnik's own remarkable skill as a chess coach, he did not think highly of the young Karpov. The boy does not have a clue about chess, and there's no future at all for him in this profession. But over the next few years, Karpov's game took off. At 15, he tied Boris Spatsky to become the youngest master-ranked player in Soviet history. His world championship reign began in 1975, when Bobby Fischer refused to defend the title according to FIDE rules. Karpov became world champion by default. After Karpov won game 27 against Kasparov, even more drawn games followed. Game 28, 29, 30, 31, all were draws. But then, at game 32, which was a full two months into the match, things reached a turning point. Kasparov won his first victory. It was now 5-1. This was followed by yet more draws, and it became clear that the drawn games had been somewhat of an intentional plan on Kasparov's part. It was his way to put the brakes on a match that had begun so poorly for him. Kasparov realized that, against a relatively equal player like Karpov, he could draw games almost at will. His plan was to wear out Karpov with the long match, frustrate him and break him down, and once that happened, go on the attack. Kasparov steered the next 14 games into draws. You can imagine what the spectators thought of this. By now, 
the sheer length of the match was impacting Karpov's nerves, and Kasparov could see it. Game 47 was a win for Kasparov. He won again in Game 48. But then something very controversial happened. After five months of playing, yes, five months, with Karpov at five wins and Kasparov at three, and 40 drawn games between them, an official from FIDE arrived in Moscow. He'd received a message saying that Karpov was on the verge of a mental breakdown. It said he'd lost 10 kilograms since the beginning of the match. And so, in an extremely controversial decision, FIDE cancelled the match. In a press conference, they cited the poor health of both players, despite both men saying they wanted to continue. So yes, after five months of playing, still nothing was decided. They scheduled a rematch for later that year, but this time FIDE chose a different format. They limited it to 24 games, and a 12-12 tie would go to Karpov. Again, controversially, both players started with a clean slate. The lead that Karpov had developed over Kasparov was erased, and the scorecard was reset to 0-0. Karpov lost this match by a hair. He was defeated in the final game of the match, a game which he only needed to draw in order to hang on to the title. Karpov spent a total of 102 months at the top of the chess world. Uh, At the time, this was the longest ever. His chess legacy includes not only a decade as champion, but also a hugely influential chess style that for many years could not be beat. Karpov would play the long, patient game, restricting his opponent's possibilities and waiting calmly for a mistake to be made, meanwhile building up a space advantage for himself and eventually smothering his opponent. Many have said it was a style that resembled a boa constrictor. Here is Karpov's approach in his own words. Let us say the game may be continued in two ways. One of them is a beautiful tactical blow that gives rise to variations that don't yield to precise calculations. The other is clear positional pressure that leads to an endgame with microscopic chances of victory. I would choose the latter without thinking twice. If the opponent offers keen play, I don't object, but in such cases I get less satisfaction, even if I win, than from a game conducted according to all the rules of strategy, with its ruthless logic. Nowadays, Karpov has a revamped style, more suitable to rapid chess, where he plays most of his games. He's known to have an enormous collection of chess books. His library has over 9,000 titles in it. He also collects chess stamps. In a biography by Alexander Roschel called Chess is My Life, which was actually co-written by Karpov, Roschel writes, In his collection, there are now tens of thousands of specimens, and about each stamp, he knows literally everything. The game this episode is one that Karpov played against Korochnoi in 1974. Uh, I wanted to choose one from his match against Kasparov, but the games in that tournament are really long ones. Um, Some of them are 70 moves plus, whereas the one we're studying this episode is 27 moves. Check out the show notes for the resources there, along with links to the game annotation for you to study. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope the show helps improve your chess. 1. White moves. Pawn to e4.
black moves. Pawn to c5. Two, white moves. Knight to f3. Black moves. Pawn to d6. What color is the d6 square? It's a dark square. Three, white moves. Pawn to d4. Black moves. C pawn takes d4. Four. White moves. Knight takes d4. Black moves. Knight to f6. White's pawn on e4 attacks which two squares? D5 and F5. Five, white moves. Knight to c3. Black moves. Pawn to g6. Six, white moves. Bishop to e3. Black moves. Bishop to g7. Which square is the black king on? The king is on e8. Seven, white moves. Pawn to f3.
Black moves. Knight to c6. Eight. White moves. Queen to d2. Black moves. Castles kingside. Which piece is on the e3 square? White's dark squared bishop. Nine, white moves. Bishop to c4. Black moves. Bishop to d7. Ten, white moves. Pawn to h4. Black moves. Rook to c8. Black's knight on c6 attacks which two center squares? d4 and e5. Eleven. White moves. Bishop to b3. Black moves. Knight to e5. Twelve. White moves. Castles queenside. Black moves. Knight to c4. Which piece is defending the black knight on c4? The rook on c8. Thirteen. 
13. White moves. Bishop takes c4. Black moves. Rook takes c4. Fourteen. White moves. Pawn to h5. Black moves. Knight takes h5. Which pieces are there on the H-file? The black pawn on H7 and knight on H5 and the white rook on H1. Fifteen, white moves. Pawn to g4. Black moves. Knight to f6. Sixteen, white moves. Knight on the D-file to E2. Black moves. Queen to A5. White has three pieces attacking the h6 square. Which are they? The bishop on e3, the queen on d2, and the rook on h1. Seventeen, white moves. Bishop to h6. Black moves. Bishop takes h6. Eighteen, white moves. Queen takes h6. Black moves. Rook on the f-file to c8. Which piece is on the f6 square?
Black's Night. Nineteen, white moves. Rook to d3. Black moves. Rook on the fourth rank to c5. Twenty. White moves. Pawn to g5. Black moves. Rook takes g5. Name all of the pieces on the fifth rank. The black queen on a5 and the rook on g5. Twenty-one, white moves. Rook to d5. Black moves. Rook takes d5. Twenty-two. White moves. Knight takes d5. Black moves. Rook to e8. The white knight on e2 has five possible squares to move to. Which ones are they? The knight can move to c3, d4, f4, g3, and g1. Twenty-three, white moves. Knight on the e file to f four. Black moves. Bishop to c six. Twenty-four. White moves. Pawn to e5. Black moves. Bishop takes d5.
Which black piece is defending the pawn on h7 against an attack by the white queen? The knight on f6. Twenty-five, white moves. E pawn takes f six. Black moves. E pawn takes f six. Twenty-six. White moves. Queen takes h7. Check. Black moves. King to f8. Twenty-seven. White moves. Queen to h8. Check. Black resigns.